Kentucky 6-0 start in the SEC. Jimmy Patso's hilarious uh, handshake line from last night. My list of uh, leading candidates for National Coach of the Year. And uh, we'll have some predictions for tonight's biggest games. Uh, specifically, Notre Dame at Florida State and Florida at South Carolina. But I wanted to start with what is the uh, biggest news in college basketball from this week, undeniably. And that is Maurice Watson's torn ACL at Creighton. We... Um, I think most of us were, were celebrating MLK Day on Monday, and uh, a lot of us were watching college basketball in the afternoon, and Maurice Watson went down, non-contact, uh, in what eventually became uh, Creighton's victory at Xavier. And afterward, even though Mo Watson had told, reportedly told Greg McDermott, his coach, that he heard it pop and that he's, quote, done, uh, Greg McDermott, I, I'm assuming, uh, after talking with uh, the medical staff, uh, said publicly on Monday evening that uh, the ligaments seemed fine, that there might be a, a meniscus problem, but uh, that the ligaments, specifically the ACL, uh, seemed okay. And yet uh, they got back to Omaha, had an MRI done yesterday afternoon, and we find out that that just was not the case. It's a torn ACL. It is a season-ending injury. It is a college career-ending injury. And it sucks, Matt, anytime uh, any young person – uh, has to have their college career end in this way. But it is especially rough when your college career ends this way, when you are having the type of college season Mo was having, and you are a part of the type of team that Creighton has become because this was a legitimate Final Four contender. He was a legitimate you know, first-team All-American contender. And I don't want to end Creighton's season today. Like, we'll let him keep playing uh, but when you lose a player of this caliber, it, 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 it almost certainly lowers the ceiling on what's possible for you. And it just, like, genuinely made me, like, sick uh, to, to, to hear this news yesterday because, uh, you know, like I've said many times, at Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, the great years come along a little more often than they do at a place like Creighton. And, and when you get them, you just hope you can capitalize on them. When everything is, is, is fitting perfectly, You've got an All-American point guard. You've got a high-level veteran scorer on the wing in Marcus Foster. You've got a one-and-done prospect in the front court like, you know, in, in Justin Patton. Like, that, that's, it doesn't come together like this this often at a place like Creighton, or at most places, frankly. And for have, to have it ripped away like this, just really, really brutal. You don't see, and you know, Kenyon Martin was the example of yeah. a player in his final year, um, both in terms of seeding how it will be affected and how – you have a, a guy's career end with injury and that guy being, you know, a top 10 player in the sport. I don't know how often we get a potential first team All-American candidate in his final season of college eligibility go down with a career ending injury, essentially. Now, Watson will obviously hopefully be able to rehabilitate himself and will certainly have a good chance i think at uh, having a solid solid career overseas but this is i mean it's never going to be like it was you're nope. never going to have uh, a year in your life where you're playing for a top 10 team creighton's off to its best start in program history 
Watson's gone from mid-major recruit who played on the East Coast at BU to transferring to Creighton and turning his game into something that really was so well tailored to uh, the offensive schematics of Greg McDermott's system. And, you know, we have mentioned before how Creighton's really been underrated. And I actually believe that with Watson, they were a true title contender. You know, they might have had to get a few breaks go their way. But I thought with him leading the nation in assists, almost a full assist more than Lonzo Ball before he went down. And uh, that kind of brought him from 8.8 to 8.5 per game, which is still the best in the country and might wind up as number one in the country at the end of the season. Right. But it is heartbreaking to see this because he's not a sophomore. He's not a junior. This is his final year. He has passed the uh, the Rubicon, so to speak, for having a redshirt year. He's, he's already played too many games to qualify to come back for another year. So he won't have that. And for Creighton, you know, they're really talented. They still have a lot. Listen, they've they've had plenty of guys that have had really good years, and most notably Marcus Foster, who's been a top 30 player. Justin Patton has established himself as a top 10 freshman of impact, and really, if you look at the stats he does and every, what he does all around, he's been really good. They've got, you know, Kyrie Thomas is solid. Cole Huff, I think, is actually one of the more underrated players in the league, but the one area where they're soft is that Watson doesn't really have a viable backup. I think they're going to go by committee here. Um, it, I, I don't know what they'll, and it'll be interesting to see what Creighton's offense then becomes with that. I think, I think they'll still be good. And as for their selection committee, you know, stance, here's what I expect. They will get credit for going 18 and one. The committee isn't going to disregard that, but they now have, a very solid sample size coming a minimum of 13 games because they have 12 regular season games to go and they'll play at least one in the Big East tournament. So a minimum of 13, maybe a maximum of 15. And they will clearly be able to look at, here's what Creighton was with Watson. Here's what Creighton is without. They won't disregard going 18 and one, but the 19 game sample size will have less influence. I believe on their seating than the 13 to 15 game sample size that is to come. My expectation is this. If Creighton is able to keep it together here, so to speak, finish with, let's just say, four losses on the season, I would expect them to get a really, really good seed because that would they would have proven, even against you know some good competition, they've got plenty of road games remaining. If they only lose three more times, the Watson injury won't have too much of an impact. But if this team goes 500 down the stretch, then it wouldn't surprise me if you saw Creighton's record uh, be drastically different from every other team on its seed line because if it went 500 down the stretch, you could make an argument that okay, without Watson, this team might be you know seven or eight seed quality then, and maybe that's where they wind up. So it'll be very interesting to uh, to follow. To me, they're now one of the most intriguing teams teams to track GP just because he was so important. He's gone, and now the committee will look at that. Kenyon Martin immediately came to mind. He, of course, uh, broke his leg in what was the Great Midwest Conference tournament when Cincinnati. I think was clearly the best team in the country uh, that season. You know, I talked to Bob Huggins about it uh, a few weeks ago in advance of his 800th win. And I think the way I posed the question was, do you ever wonder, like, what, what, what would have happened if Kenyon didn't break his leg? He said, I don't have to wonder. I know what would have happened. We would have won the national championship. Like, he was not going to let us lose. And I believe that's the year Michigan State went and got the national championship. Isn't that right? 2000? Yes. So, like, think about this for a second. Um, the only reason I, I most people, I don't, I don't want to say most people. I'll just speak for myself. The only reason I think Bob Huggins doesn't have a national championship right now 
is because Kenyon Martin broke his leg in the pyramid during the Great Midwest Conference Tournament, a pyramid, by the way, in downtown Memphis that is now a Bass Pro Shop. Um, the only reason Hugs doesn't have a, a national title is because of that. The only reason Tom Izzo does have a national title is because of that. Yeah. And so I, I can't – I'm confident there are other examples, but I couldn't think of one off the top of my head, of a true – national title contender and and by the way Creighton was that you're exactly right not just because they were 18 and one but because you know they 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 check a lot of the boxes that you have to check to be on the list of 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 true national title contenders and if you want to scale it back a little bit bit and say true final four contender that's fine with me Uh, but they were so good offensively um and and and, you know talented enough old enough you know they like they were capable of doing whatever it is you wanted them to do. I can't think of another outside of Kenyon Martin where, you know, a national title contender lost its best player to a season-ending injury this late into the season. I, I you know, I, I know Duke lost Kyrie Irving for a little while, but then he came back. But the idea that you would right. lo- lose, a, a you know, a, a player of this importance from a team with these types of aspirations is 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 pretty rare. And you touched on something like uh, that. I I think is one hundred percent true. You never get this back, and you, you, you. I don't think you ever get it out of your head. Like I know Hugs said, you know, said I don't have to wonder. I know what would have happened. But for Maurice Watson, he would have to wonder. Who knows what would have happened? And I imagine that it eats at you forever. Like I bet you it's going to be thirty years from now, and Mo Watson is going to be sitting around with a couple of other guys he played college basketball with, and they will, you know, over beers or wine or perhaps just soda. Uh, get into a conversation where they go, man, what would have, man, do you think we could have, man, what, like, because in, 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 you know, in the NBA, even if you are on, you know, your way to what could be a great season and your best player goes down with a knee injury, you can still, as long as he's under contract and all of that stuff, uh, sort of look at him and, and look at each other and say, all right, you know, this is awful. This is unfortunate, but like, we'll take another shot at it next year. But in college basketball, there is never a next year with similar circumstances as this year. You know, if you're a great team, you are almost certainly going to lose players either either to graduation or to the NBA draft. But great great teams don't return intact. And so we already know Creighton's not going to have Maurice Watson next season. Uh, his college career is done. Might not have Justin Patton next season. Could be a one-and-done guy. And so Creighton – like. The, you know, at a place like Creighton, like you, you know, you you don't you they just sort of st- I don't want to say stumbled into this because that that discredits what what Greg and his staff have done, but it just sort of everything is broken perfectly. They get a transfer who emerges into one of the best point guards in America, another transfer who, you know, looks a lot like uh, a lot more like he was as a freshman at Kansas State as opposed to a sophomore at Kansas State. They get an off the radar front court prospect who red shirts and then. Uh, you know, start showing up in the top 20 of NBA mock drafts. Like, when does this type of stuff happen? And yet it was happening, and now it's just over. And it's just, ugh. I mean, I, like, yeah. I, 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 I felt sick for, obviously, Mo more than anybody else because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's his knee, it's his career, it's his everything. But for that staff, for that program, and for those fans, you know, like, uh, you know, they were living through something right now that they'd probably been dreaming about forever. 
And again, you know, perhaps it goes on and finishes well, but it's probably not going to be what it was. We were in studio last night uh, here in New York, CBS Sports Network. I was with Dana Jacobson, Wally Zerbiak, and Danny Granger. And Dana asked me, so how do they replace him? And I sort of thought about it for a half second and said, they don't. You know, like we, there's no sense in lying to each other. You know, whatever you thought was possible for Creighton yesterday or, you know, three days ago is, is, is you know, speaking frankly and candidly, it's just not, it's just not possible anymore, is it? No, it's not. Um, and yeah, McNurban knows that and they'll adjust accordingly. And this is still a turnout, you know, without Watson, they're still tournament level good. And I think have the capability to win some games. But the expectation level totally gets dialed back. And, you know, everyone outside of that locker room, I think, will realize that. And it's, you know, it's on McDermott, the staff, and the players to think, no, that we can still do this without Watson. And Watson will still be around the team. He's a real influential kind of guy. Uh, what I found interesting about this Creighton team is that in terms of its uh, points per possession, Synergy had, had put out a, a stat. This team has been more efficient on offense and was on pace, at least, than the McDermott team, which was really, really good and had, you know, obviously it had nights. I mean, it had that, didn't have, had that epic night. It, like, killed Villanova, both, you know, both times it played that season. So that team was really capable of just, like, just going on, on fire and flaming you. Um, this team was on pace to have a better points-per-possession offense than the Creighton one per Synergy stats. And I thought that was pretty damn telling. And a lot of that, obviously, was Watson, who when you just – when you watched Creighton play, you could see clearly how much the offense ran through him, and it was so fluid and solid, very good on-court leader. And, uh, yeah, it's just a bummer. We'll see what happens uh, for Creighton uh, from here on out. It was impressive that they were able to get the win at Xavier on the road. He went down in the first half, and it was a close game. So after they lose their guy, uh, they were still able to pull out um, what I think will you know, uh, be, be a good road win, and the committee will take note of the fact that he went down in the first half of that game and the team did win the game without him. Yeah, I didn't know if that was a great thing for Xavier, or I mean a great thing for Creighton, or just a really bad thing for Xavier. I guess we'll find out uh, over the uh, rest of this regular season, but um, if Creighton loses its most important player in the first half and you're at home, like you've got to be able to knock that out. That was a tough spot uh, for uh, the Musketeers. Let me tell you about Seat Geek. Next time you're getting ready to buy tickets, uh, that's what you're going to do. Go to SeatGeek.com or uh, just download the Seat Geek app because uh, that is the company that has made it easier than ever uh, to get the concert tickets that you want, to get the uh, tickets to the games that you want, to the shows that you want. Uh, what they do is all the work for you. They handle price comparison. Uh, by searching multiple ticket sites, and that way they're going to ensure that you get the best possible deal. Like I said, they do all the work. You save time and money, and the promo code is COLLEGEBB. That's COLLEGEBB, so use it when you're at SeatGeek, and you'll get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. So you got me? Listen up. Download the SeatGeek app. It's what I've done. It's what Matt Norlander's done. When you purchase tickets, and it doesn't matter to what, games, concerts, whatever. When you purchase tickets, use the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's COLLEGEBB. And SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Again, promo code COLLEGEBB. That's SeatGeek. Millions of tickets in one place. Meantime, Kentucky improved 6-0 in the SEC uh, on Tuesday night. They won down at Mississippi State. Got up big early. Like, I, I think we're up around 18, 20 points. I mean, they were up big early. Um, and then uh, Ben Allen's team uh, you know, made a comeback, got it close, but I don't think ever 
seriously threatened to, to win the game, but they did make it competitive and uh, covered the uh, 14 and a half points for anybody who might have had a plus 14 and a half points. How about this? I went and looked this up this morning. Kentucky 6-0 SEC, four of those wins have come by 20-plus points. They are 16-2 and overall. 13 of those wins have come by 20-plus uh, points. Uh, but more interestingly to me, uh, they are 43-5 and in their last 48 games against SEC opponents. 43-5. and It obviously dates back to... Uh, that perfect season in the league in, I guess it was 2014-15, where they went 18-0 and in the regular season against SEC teams and then 3-0 and in the SEC tournament. So that's 21 of the wins right there. But 43-5 and in, 40, in their last 48 games against SEC opponents. I, I just remember when John Calipari was at Memphis and Memphis was in Conference USA and John was rolling through the opponents one after another after another, just stacking up blowout win after blowout win after blowout win to the extent that anybody was critical and most people weren't because like that those teams were going to elite eights and one played for the national championship one was within a second of the national championship but still to the extent that there were some folks being critical or at least discounting it they would say yeah that's fine but let's see you know has he ever done it in a big in a power league has he ever done it in a so-called real league you know, what would he do if he had to play in a, a power conference? And I'm not going to sit here and pretend that the SEC is the ACC, but the SEC is, by definition, a power conference. And he's 43-5 and five in his last 48 games. Is this great for Kentucky, terrible for the SEC, or some combination of the two? Uh, I think it's terrible for the SEC. Kentucky's going to be good pretty much every year with, with Calipari, with the exception of that Nerland's Noel injury year where they went to the NIT and lost at Robert Morris that is the aberration that is the exception that proves the rule this is not good for the SEC it's not good that Kentucky is lording over its conference to an even more dominant extent than Alabama has done in football we have discussed many times both in print and on the podcast over the past three years why the why there were indications that the league should be getting better and perhaps it still will but those that's just that's borne no fruit so far GP it's it's a really bad look for the conference when Kentucky is able to so dominantly run through it. And I understand that Calipari is is recruiting on a different level from everyone within the conference. But still, it's even if you include that and put an emphasis on that, it's there's no one that's even at their table. Okay, it would be one thing if Kentucky won it every year, but won the league by a game. Uh, maybe occasionally by two games got picked off here and there but when you watch them play there's just no one there like it's it's becoming I wrote this the other day it's becoming like Gonzaga in many years in the WCC and that's not the case this year because I do think St. Mary's is closer to Gonzaga than anyone is in the SEC to Kentucky and I know that Florida is good but I I don't think that Florida is just I don't think Florida's in Kentucky's class this year um, so now it becomes an issue like, you know, Kentucky's going to lose, I mean, max twice, probably not even that. I don't probably think that. I think, well, I think they'll lose one more game it, yeah. it, and it might not even be a league game. Like it might be the home game to Kansas, Kansas. Right. So I, I think they'll either lose at Florida. I don't think they have to go to South Carolina. Do they? Uh, I don't think they do. I don't believe they, they play go. South Carolina at home this weekend. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think. Yeah, they don't go to South Carolina. 
So I, I could see them getting caught at like, and it wouldn't be getting caught. I mean, like, you know, not like, you know, it's the old dome for crying out loud. It is the O-Dome. No, no one just walks into the no one just walks in the O-Dome expecting a win. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, so like it wouldn't even be getting caught. It'd just be like losing a, a you know, it's just like Villanova losing a Butler. You know, like sometimes that's that's you know sometimes that's going to happen to you even if you're great. So I could see them losing at Florida. I could see maybe them lo- Georgia. I could see them maybe losing at Georgia. I could see them. Um, you know, obviously, if you're playing Kansas, even inside Rupp Arena, like that's a real opponent. But I, however, it shakes out. I don't think they lose more than one more game. Yeah. So they're going to be a one seed. And even like last night, they're on the road. And Mississippi State's not that good. And I understand that it ended up as a single-digit margin. But like Malik Bunk doesn't have a good game at all. And it's really not that close. De'Aaron Fox does his thing. He's their best and most important player. True. As long as he's doing that, they're going to be in good shape on the road against most teams. And Kentucky's just going to head toward a one seed. And it's going to have that one seed validated, by the way. I don't want to hear that because the SEC is down. And I don't think we're going to hear too much of this but i could see it happening where people cite the sec's weakness as a reason why kentucky shouldn't be a one seed if we get into a situation where we have five or six teams competing for one seed which i you know i root for chaos i'd like to see that um if they get to selection sunday with only three losses i don't think there's going to be a case against them will be interesting to see but yeah this is not good for the sec i'm it's too soon for me to say how many bids the league will get it's going to get at least three. Yeah. But, I mean, we shouldn't be having this conversation. Like, the SEC on a year-by-year basis should be in contention at bare minimum for four bids, and it's not right now definitively. Um, yeah, South Carolina, it should be noted, is still undefeated with Cedarius Thornwell and the committee, just like the committee is going to take into account what Creighton is without uh, Maurice Watson, it will take into account what South Carolina is with Cedarius Thornwell, and what South Carolina is with Cedarius Thornwell is – undefeated so far so I know that you know last year it sort of fell apart for South Carolina and they ultimately got left on the wrong side of the bubble but I don't believe that's going to happen uh this year I'm with you uh that league's going to get at least three and then we'll see what happens after that but it'll uh, Kentucky Florida and South Carolina I'll be shocked if yeah. um if those three aren't in and, and like by shock that mean like it's not going to happen those three are going to get in um Meantime, while Kentucky was winning in Starkville, there was a game played between Siena and Ryder. And that is not something that I, if you'd asked me this time yesterday, uh, would I have a bullet point in my notes to make sure we get to it on the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Uh, but here we are. And the reason is because uh, there was an altercation between the teams and it got a little ugly. And then after the game, you know, you do your normal handshake line, right? Coaches shake hands, shake hands with players, whatever. And uh, Jimmy Patsos, the writer coach, um, uh, I mean, uh, Jimmy Patsos, the Siena coach, rather, uh, you know, he starts walking toward midcourt, and there's no team there. Uh, uh, Kevin Baggett had pulled the writer team off the court, and they just all walked to the locker room and refused to shake hands, at which point, rather than just, you know, stop, or uh, turn around, or do, you know, whatever. Patsos goes through the entire what would have been the handshake line, <laughs> shaking fake imaginary hands, one after another, uh, after another. And for people who don't know Jimmy, um, he is truly one of the great characters in yes. in, in college basketball. Like, um, you know, th- when you do that thing where over the summer we said, hey, who would you like to? If there's any coach in college basketball, you get a drink with. Who is it? And Bob Huggins was the runaway winner. 
and that makes sense. And Bill Self, I believe, was second, and that also makes sense. But Patso's like he's on that list. At least he is. He got votes. Yeah, he did get votes. I've I've had drinks with Jimmy Patso's. I can vouch for it. He's fun. And so uh, just a funny scene last night from a guy with a great sense of humor. And then uh, even afterward, um, you know, when he had every opportunity to badmouth, you know, uh, Ryder, badmouth Kevin, say that was cheap or Bush League or whatever, he just sort of took the high road and said, yeah, you know, whatever, I like Kevin, it's all good. And uh, so he, he, he turned a weird moment into a hilarious moment and then took the high road. That's a good Tuesday night for Jimmy Patsos. Talking Mac hoops and some Ryder Bronx right now. <laughs> Patsos is incredible, and this is why I really like college basketball because you've got an inventory of 351 teams, and you're just going to get some different kind of dudes as head coaches. It's inevitable. I love it. Patsos is hilarious. He is on the short list with uh, Camp Greg Campy at Oakland um, as some of the funniest dudes in the sport. And it's the way, like, it's just his body language. Like, he's nodding his head like, as, he's doing, <laughs> as he's, like, walking through, miming. And, dude, it's just, it's too good. There are plenty of uh, YouTube-worthy pathos moments. He is the coach, by the way. Hardcore uh, College Hoops fans know that when he was at Loyola, right. he was the one who threw that gimmick defense at Steph Curry where he was triple teamed the entire game, even when he didn't have the ball and his team lost. But he was the one that was able to. Now, I don't remember Curry's line in that game. It was terrible. But, he, he didn't play. I mean, he, yeah, he didn't play well. Yeah, but but he simply refused to let Curry beat him. He's like, I don't care. The rest of the team's going to beat me, but I'm not going to let this dude shoot. And it was, a, it was, I think, a triple team. I don't think it was a double team. And if it was a double team, I know there were some triple teams because I remember watching the video and it's Curry literally camped out in a corner with three dudes on him. <laughs> The rest of the team's like running offense. So weird. And I remember Patsos got criticized for that. But hey, I, I criticized him for it. I felt bad about it later. Although I, th- you well, know, no, but there's legitimate criticism yeah. for it because in a way it was it was gimmicky, but it did get us talking about his program. It got him talking about the league. Now it was in a loss. But that was kind of his moment of national arrival. <laughs> it really was. It was I, his first. You know, like I don't know that I ever knew. I, I certainly didn't know Jimmy before that. But I like was I even? I guess I probably was. But like, was I even aware of Jimmy Petzos before that moment? Like, I don't know. Right. Yeah. No. Listen. It was it, funny moment. Good moment. Like these things kind of sprinkled throughout the season, and uh, you know, occasionally tempers flare up. That that could have been a potentially ugly situation. And Petzos, and it looked like he was trying to calm it down. And Baggett was super heated. Um, we had two, you know, Kentucky, Mississippi State almost right. had a thing, uh, and then this happened uh, as well. Um, so, you know, college basketball doesn't need brawls. You know, it brings media attention, but that's something obviously that the sport doesn't necessarily need. Uh, so, from that, a good, funny, lighthearted moment from Patsos afterward, and I'm all for that, man. I'm all for coaches showing personality and being different. It's what uh, kind of makes college hoops so fun. I put together a list yesterday afternoon of the top uh, national coach of the year uh, candidates. Um, who would you have number one right now? Right now, hmm, I wasn't ready for you to ask that question. I, I, I think it would still be Drew, I think, yeah. right now. As if like us recording this podcast, I think I would still have Drew. I had, I had Scott Drew number one, and that's because at the time they were 16-1. and one. Obviously, they won last night, beat Texas. And how about this? It, like, there, There's a million different ways you can uh, frame how impressive it is that Scott Drew uh, – what Scott Drew's done – 
here's a, yet another way. Baylor beat Texas, like beat you know beat them convincingly. You know, like doesn't even register. Like think yeah. about like like it's sure. just like it's like whatever. Like uh, the, the the idea you know that once upon a time that Baylor could just beat Texas and it wouldn't even register. Like it'd be like of course Baylor beat Texas. Why wouldn't Baylor beat Texas? Is a testament to how far. Uh, that programs come. It, it's also a testament to, to how bad Texas is this season, but let's focus mm-hmm. on the other side. Baylor's 17-1 and one now, uh, sixth in the AP poll. Uh, only loss was that loss at West Virginia. And uh, Scott Drew's doing this without any top 50 national recruits, without any obvious future NBA players. He's got wins over Louisville, Oregon, and Iowa State on their way to the NCAA tournament for the fifth time in six years. Uh, we've probably spent more minutes on the podcast than, than we should uh, talking about what's happened at Baylor this year and the job that Scott's done. But uh, you and I are in agreement. If we had to name a national coach of the year right now, it, it would probably have to be, not have to be, but should be uh, Scott Drew. After that, I went Jay Wright second. And I know that he's got a good team, but like just because you're supposed to have a good team doesn't mean you should be penalized when it comes to college um, you know, Coach of the Year awards. Jay lost his captain, center, and top recruit, and is still sitting here uh, with an 18 and one record, lone loss at Butler, and they're ranked number one in the AP poll. I've got him ranked number one in the top 25 and one. Like he's done a, a fabulous job, and they look like um, you know legitimate contenders to win back-to-back national championships. Third, I had Steve Alford. I think that speaks for itself. He was 15 and 17 last year, uh, signed a recruiting class uh, that has turned and 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 used a and then used this recruiting class to play a style that has allowed UCLA to start 18 and one. Uh, I had some people on Twitter say, uh, you know, don't give Steve Alford the coach of the year, give it to Lonzo Ball, and I hear you. Um, but like, you know, the, the coaches are responsible for the players, and um, you know, it's not a given that any coach would be able to. Uh, to do what Steve is doing with this UCLA team. Like, every coach wouldn't turn them loose the way he's turned them loose. Um, you know, Bryce is flourishing off the ball in a way that um, I don't think most people anticipated. TJ Leaf is, I think, now a top 10 national player of the year uh, candidate, you know, with a, a very good opportunity to have a better freshman season than this freshman season Kevin Love had. So I think Alfred in the top three makes some sense. Bill Self, fourth. Like, uh, I think that speaks for itself. Kansas has won 17 straight games and is maybe on its way to its 13th straight Big 12 title. I had Mike Bray, five. Chris Holtman at Butler, six. Greg McDermott at Creighton, seven. Mark Few at Gonzaga, eight. Bob Huggins at West Virginia, nine. And Sean Miller at Arizona, ten. Our buddy Jeff Eisenberg said, uh, he tweeted late last night from Yahoo Sports, that his top ten would look a lot like that, but he would have Sean Miller higher. And I got no issue mm-hmm. with somebody putting Sean Miller higher. The idea yep. that Arizona's sitting here at 16-2, and two, despite losing Terrence Ferguson in the offseason, Ray Smith in the preseason, hasn't had Alonzo Trier at all, lost its point guard for a handful of games, and still sitting here 16-2. and two. Like, that's – like, three possible starters. Like, if you had talked to Sean in June and said, you know, Ray Smith, Terrence Ferguson, Alonzo Trier, he might have said, yeah, all three of those could start for me. And yet – and certainly what all three was going to be, they were all three going to be heavy, you know. Like Ferguson and Trier might have been the best two players while recognizing what Markin is doing. I, like Maybe not. But either way, to lose all of that, you know, before the season even begins and still be sitting here like this on January 18th is incredibly impressive. Yeah. 
couple quick thoughts. One, the SEC being down is what will prevent John Calipari from winning Coach of the Year because people look at competition level. Other coaches are going up against, look at their record, and it's just not going to help Calipari in this kind of year. This is how the SEC can hurt him. Leonard Hamilton's the only one. Now, we got Notre Dame at Florida State here right. tonight. So uh, Leonard Hamilton's, I think, the only one not in your top ten that would have a case. I would have Miller higher. I have I have Leonard in the next 15 because I felt like yeah. once I yeah, got what the is, 10. What is with that, by the way, listing 15 more? You know what I learned that's, a long time ago? That's some CYA BS right there. Get out of here with this listing 15. You have more dudes listed off the list than you have on the list. That is crap, but GP. Here's what I learned a while ago. If the more names you include, the fewer people, the fewer times people ask you on Twitter, what about this guy? Why don't you hate it? Why do you hate this guy? It always gets turned into like, why do you hate somebody? Like, I swear to God, the other day I wrote something. I don't even remember what it was about. And like somebody was accusing me of hating Villanova. And I'm like, you realize I'm the I'm the guy that wrote the Villanova column a couple of weeks ago about how they just had the most amazing 2016 calendar year in like the history of college basketball. But like fans have such a short memory, man. And it's like it doesn't matter what you do with anything. It's like you must hate this. So yeah, I, do, I go, you know what? I, I just don't even want to deal with that. So I'll put every base, and you still get it. I got it like, where's Josh Pastner? Which is a reasonable question, I guess. Although I will say the, the common thread between all 25 names that I listed is that they, they all basically got top 50 Ken Palm teams. And while Georgia Tech has overachieved, like they're sitting here with three ACC wins, um, it's still not a top 50 Ken Palm team. It's not a team headed to the NCAA tournament. And so I, I didn't feel too awful leaving uh, Josh off, although Josh is doing a great job in Atlanta. Eric Musselman, like maybe should be on the list for no, what dude, he's. You got twenty-five names. Make ten. Cut it off. Have have some freaking guts. Real, I'm trying to. I'm trying to explain to you how to. I'm the master. Yeah, of I know what list. you're doing. I forget that. Like okay, whatever, you, man. You, Just make the list. You and be you done cut with down. It. You cut down on pointless questions for fans. Also. The retweets go through the roof. You got twenty-five different basketball programs retweeting Coach of the Year and stuff. I see. I'm playing Dude. the game, Norlander. I'm playing. Mark that- Few is a lock to win this award if Gonzaga goes undefeated. If he has one loss, he'll probably win it. Probably two. Then it gets really interesting. That's my other takeaway here. Right now, he's rightfully, I think, you know, six, seven on your list. Gonzaga runs the table. It's going to be his in a runaway, though. So we mentioned that there are two uh, really uh, good games tonight, top 25 matchups. One of them is a Florida uh, State hosting Notre Dame. And this is a Notre Dame team um, that is one of the neat stories in college basketball. I didn't think they were going to be this good. I, I think at this point uh, you have to assume that any Mike Bray team is going to be good because they usually are. Uh, but I think I got them like top 10 and in the top 25 and one right now. And, and I recognize that might be a little high. It is high relative to the computer numbers. But 16 and two only losses are to Villanova, Purdue and five and0 and alone in first place in the ACC. What do you want me to do with them? Like what like what how do I keep them out of the top 10? Not only that, but 5-0 and in the ACC, and more games have come away from home yep. than in South Bend, which is impressive. I don't care what the competition is, and the competition has been pretty decent. Unless Notre Dame gets just absolutely steamrolled here, I'm not going to think any less of them if they lose at Florida State tonight because both 16-2 teams, Florida State's got the home game. Florida State's really good this year. I'll have a piece up on Notre Dame before Wednesday's done. Talk with Mike Bray, and... He, we talked about a whole 
bunch of facets with his team and what he's done. And, you know, he has this motto that he just repeats ad nauseum, but it's, it works. You know, get old and stay old. You always have dudes that will start as juniors and seniors on your team, and it will, you know, pretty much ensure that you will be successful. Uh, and that has certainly worked for him. He's on. He's going to make his seventh tournament in eight years this year. What he noted to me was that from his perspective and – I don't have the exact statistics to bear this out because it's it's granular, but he said his team in the final four minutes after the final under four timeout, this is the best defensive team he thinks he's ever had under four minutes to go. They are composed. They lock up. They get kills. So he they track kills. So they have, if you get three straight possessions where they don't score, that's a kill, and they track those. And in every game that they've won close down the stretch, They've had at least one kill, and in many instances, two or three kills, uh, specifically with that Pittsburgh game. So the fact that they've got that, that Matt Farrell has been so good. He gave me a great anecdote. Um, so when Farrell had started with the program and was a freshman, and uh, Pat Connaughton and Jaron Grant were on the team, you know, they run practice with, with you know, blue and white or blue and gold or whatever, whatever it would be. But Farrell would be on, you know, the second team, so to speak. And they would run end-of-game situations because uh, he always runs them. He, and this is also why Notre Dame's been so good a lot of the time over the past four or five years is because Bray puts an emphasis on different end-game situations and scenarios and has his team run through them. And what he said was, and this was when Grant was a senior, Connaughton was a senior that year, he said Matt Farrell, this dude from Jersey no one knew, was killing him every single time of practice and you occasionally get a story like this from a coach where it's just like yeah this good this guy you see this guy is good now two years ago when no one was watching he was effing our guys up and i knew he was going to be good that's basically what farrell did so much to the point where farrell's second team kept beating grant zach august Connaughton every single time that he stopped doing those drills for a week because he didn't want grant and Connaughton's confidence to be totally killed off by this freshman dude they didn't even know coming in and kicking their ass and so now you're seeing Farrell lead this team in such a great way at point guard. He's really been a top 10 point guard of impact. Vestorius hit big shot after big shot. You know, VJ Beecham's an NBA prospect. Bonzi Colson, to me, has been a top 25 candidate from start from the season start till now for player of the year. I mean, he, he will have a good chance of being, you know, first, second, third team All-American. I have him now I, in the updated player of the year rankings. I've got him in the top 10. Yeah, it's totally validated. So they've got a lot of really good guys at this point. And even if they lose at Florida State, Notre Dame is, is certainly a team to be taken seriously. And we're going to have our updated, um, you know, final four picks, player of the year, midseason stuff on CBSSports.com this week. I just had a fun, they, you know, they asked for a final four. And instead of doing, you know, the top four teams, which is, you know, totally, you know, within reason, I, my wild card pick, so to speak, the crazy wild card pick is actually Notre Dame, which ranks in top 10 at Ken Palm right now, top 10 in the polls. They've got the ability to do it. Second best offense in the country right now. And as uh, Bray said, you know, their end of game defense has a, a lot of poise to it. And team is legit. They're just so much better than I thought they would be. I, I don't know if I'll ever make this mistake with with Bray's Notre Dame teams again. I, I legitimately did not think they would be anything close to this. And they are uh, they are on the real. Florida State is a five and a half point favorite over the Irish. What are you doing? You taking points, you laying points. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take those points. I think I'll take Florida State to win, but uh, I'm feeling like this could be a pretty, a pretty damn good one. Notre Dame has a tendency to play really entertaining games, and I think we'll get that tonight. I think Florida State wins, but I buy it up to plus six, plus six at minus one twenty, and take, a, and take the, the Notre Dame 
uh, to cover, but Florida State to win. The other interesting game, um, top 25 matchup, is South Carolina hosting Florida. Uh, as John Rostein, a, a friend, pointed out uh, on Twitter earlier today, uh, it stay, stay hungry and humble, but also um, – but also – uh, it's it's good for the SEC to have a marquee game that doesn't have to rely on Kentucky to bring an audience, and I, I think that's a fair point. Like, uh, when's the last time? How often does it happen where you've got a really compelling SEC game and, and it doesn't involve John Calipari's Wildcats? So that's good for the league. South Carolina, one-and-a-half-point favorite tonight and probably one of the, uh, the biggest games to be played in Columbia – since January 27, 2010, when Devin Downey got 30 points on the Kentucky Wildcats, outplayed John Wall, and handed John Calipari his first ever loss at Kentucky. Shout out. Shout out to Devin Downey. Hey, listen, did you catch my shout out to Devin Downey in, in text form on my Gonzaga undefeated thing? I worked it in because I did a chart <laughs> of, every, of every last undefeated team over the Oh, yes, 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 yes. 25 years. And so I put an asterisk next to South Carolina or Kentucky. And then I said, uh, the asterisk denotes a shout-out to Devin Downey. So I'm going next level here. We're, coming, we're, we're coming up on the seven-year anniversary of January 27, 2010. Devin Downey's 30-point game against John Wall. January. So hold on. Hold on I'm just trying it's to a Friday. It. It's a Friday. We're okay, good. It. So we're going to do a podcast on the seven-year anniversary. We might just revisit the whole – we might dedicate the entire podcast to that game. You know what I think we should do? I think we should actually start uh, or finish the podcast with the audio call of that South Carolina. <laughs> Just pull it from YouTube and put it put it on there without a doubt. South Carolina, I think, is going to win this game by like eight or nine points. I think they'll they've got Thornwell, they got the home floor. Um, it's close between them and Florida as the SEC's best team. You have to think South Carolina is better just because it's yet to lose without Thornwell. And um, Dozier's been PJ Dozier's been really good. I actually really thought good. he would be a better freshman than he turned out being, but he's a, he's been a nice second year player overall. Um, yeah, no, it, listen, they're both undefeated in the league play, so it's good for the SEC in that regard. Um, but I do think, you know, I'll go back to what I said earlier. I, I do think that these two teams, even though this will be a good game for the SEC, I don't expect many people to watch this and figure that the winner will be someone that's going to challenge Kentucky. I just don't find that to be the case. But it would be good for the SEC if this was a good and interesting game. It would not be good if South Carolina wins this game 63-50. to 50. Uh, You would want something compelling, and hopefully we'll get it. We'll see. I Hard to pick against South Carolina at home, particularly with Thornwell in the lineup. I've been ride or die with Florida, though. I dedicated a poll text column to him a couple weeks ago. Um, so in the spirit of that, I will uh, take the Gators to win in a, a let's say, a one like a, a really close game. But obviously, um, I'm aware that South Carolina is at home and, and the favorite. I'll just go wrong team favorite here and, uh, and, and pick Michael White's team to remain undefeated in the SEC, although – uh, to be clear, I'm only doing that in the spirit of making a Politex column from two weeks ago look good. I don't even know that I actually uh, believe it. Remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. Uh, thank you all so much for listening, and we will talk to you again on a Friday morning. Till then, take care. <laughs>